Hello, my name is Grant Milesera, and I'm pastor at New Song Church. Uh, it's a joy and a privilege to be able to join you today. Uh, we finished up last week, for those of you who were able to join us then, on a series that we called All Right Here. Uh, we were exploring uh, what it means to be disoriented in circumstances uh, uh, that we find ourselves in. Uh, and, and the assertion was that with a God who is present and active, we can actually find our way through to reorientation, uh, into renewal, into being changed, uh, actually by the very things that currently seem to be the most challenging because God is faithful and he is present. Uh, and even though that series is finished, I would encourage you to continue to think about your life in those terms if you found it helpful to do so. Uh, today we're beginning a brand new journey uh, for our summer series. Uh, we're going to enter into an adventure with God and with one another. We're going to spend the next 11 weeks thinking about words, and in particular, uh, a, a certain kind of words, words that we use to talk about God, about our faith. You know, we use words all the time. Uh, often just, uh, we don't even think about it, we're just, we're just talking. Uh, and So we talk a lot, but seldom, I think, do we really reflect upon what it is we're saying and evaluate the words that we use. Uh, do you remember what you said to people yesterday or, or what was spoken to you? Do you remember the words that were used? Uh, as you spoke uh, and as you speak, you have plenty of words to choose from. I did a little uh, digging around to get some numbers uh, and apparently most adults range from between 20 to 35,000 words in their native language. Quite a lot of words to pick from. And now I have no idea how they came up with this number, but apparently, uh, it is calculated that the average person living an average lifespan speaks about 860.3 million words over the course of their life. I have no idea uh, where that came from. That's a lot of words uh, filling a lot of uh, space and communicating a lot of ideas. And of course, not all the words we use are of equal value. There are some words that are quite throwaway. They're just for one moment in time to get something achieved. Uh, for example, my order in and out is rather insignificant in this great scheme of things, although the, the phrase uh, animal-style fries kind of quickens my pulse a little bit, but me, that's more of a sign of my, my situation with my heart with too many animal fries. Um, but, but it's just words we use, and, and they, they just get things achieved through the day. But other words are extremely important. For example, a parent's shouting out to a child who's about to run into a busy street. Uh, it's a vital word. Stop! Uh, other words are extremely significant. For example, a, a wise elder sharing some experiences of life and some wisdom to a younger person. Or the times in history where speeches have been made at times of great uh, national or international crisis uh, when Dr. King said, I have a dream. Or when, when Reagan uh, said to the Russian leader, tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev. We remember these words, they're significant and they have a lot of power and impact. And words can save lives. Words can destroy them just as easily. Words can harm and words can heal. Words can clarify and words can confuse. Words can inspire and words can discourage. Words are powerful. They're one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Uh, and they are powerful. They have an effect. And the most powerful words in our vocabulary are the words that we use to talk about God. You know, the story of God is nothing if it's not a story of words and communication. Uh, in scripture, there are many words for, the, for, for the, the concept of speaking or communicating or words. Uh, in Hebrew and Greek, there are several words for that. 
uh, and they appear in every single book in the Bible regularly. It's one of the most commonly occurring uh, words and, and, and scriptures, they are a word from God. Uh, and, and it's a sense that, that there's a communication happening. There's, there's an ability to hear and to listen and to understand what God is about, what God is saying. Uh, you know, if all we have is Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible, the first thing you read when you open up that book, uh, we would understand that God speaks and that his words are meaningful and powerful. First thing in Genesis, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And regardless of your perspective on the details of creation, this text clearly portrays a certain type of God. A God who speaks. A God whose words create matter. And a God whose words give creation its significance and its meaning. And that's at the beginning of the story. What about the end of the story? What about uh, right at the end of this book that we call the Bible? Well, the final assertion of the whole Bible is Jesus's words of promise to return to accomplish this great reorientation, this great renewal of all things. Revelation, the very last chapter, it says, he, Jesus, who testifies to these things, testifies, speaks of these things, uh, says, yes, I am coming soon. So it begins with such a hopeful world, word of creation, and it ends with a, an increasingly hopeful word of recreation. And Jesus speaks these words because he's the central place where God speaks. Jesus is the central place where God has made himself known and has communicated himself to us. For it's Jesus who makes known this God and Jesus is actually called the Word. That's one of the titles for Jesus. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, the incarnation, Jesus, and made his dwelling among us, and we've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Hebrews, another part of the New Testament, the writer begins his, his whole story, this whole book, with these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. And the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, do you understand this concept here that, 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 that Jesus, the word of God, is involved and is speaking and is communicating and is holding things together by this form of who he is as the word of God. And Jesus came in the flesh to a community and he lived with them and he spoke with them and he spoke true things about God so beautifully. And, and people remarked about this. This is how Jesus was perceived as one who speaks into the world about God. It says in Mark chapter 10, the disciples were amazed at his words. Luke says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. 
They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. And they weren't used to this. Many of the words that the teachers of their day used were, were shallow or were manipulative. But Jesus came and there's this new sense that his words really truly had that recreative and powerful sense of God in them to make change. Uh, with a word, he cast out the demons and with a word, he healed the sick. And with simple words, he offered forgiveness and restoration to broken people. It says in Luke, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. He spoke before God, he spoke before the people in ways that were powerful and in ways that aligned with his actions. And then John says, and because of his words, many more became believers. He was convincing and he was clear and he was compelling and they came. So then Jesus, we, we know the story that he, he, he's taken up into heaven um, and the church is born uh, by the power of the Spirit. And the, the Spirit em empowers the people now, the church, the body of Christ, to continue the work that Jesus was doing and speak truth about God to the world. Beautiful text in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The word has been spoken into us and now we're a new creation born into Christ, into Father, Son, Holy Spirit and the church in this community. And the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, as Josh spoke about a few weeks ago, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus. So Jesus speaks of this. The kingdom is here. Repent, turn back to the Father. And then he makes a way for that to take place. But then it says, and he has committed to us the message or word, it's that Greek word logos, the message of reconciliation. We therefore are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Through us. What are we saying about God in answer to this call, this ambassadorship? We've been given this ministry of reconciliation Paul writes to the Thessalonians, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God through human beings. Peter writes, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason, but that word again is logos, Greek word for word. So the word or the account for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. It's a high calling, it's a high calling. We see the, the picture of Jesus and how he has, he has talked about as how he used words. And then often we can look at our own lives and think that, that yeah, we fall short. And, and scripture is very abundantly clear about the ways in which we do so. And there's certain kinds of words that are, that are subpar, that are not helpful. Um, just a few of these uh, from uh, some letters of the New Testament. There are evil words. There are evil words. And he says, only say what is helpful, what is needed for building up the community so it benefits those who hear what you say. So um, not just Christian community, the community in general. So evil words are words that, that tear down or destroy or disunite people. And they harm community. They're empty words. It says they're deceptive. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Empty words. 
There, there's no heart or, or intention. There's no action behind them. They are simply empty and they're deceptive. Uh, there's wicked words, words of accusation. John writes, there are flattering words. And Paul says, we, we didn't come to you and use flattering words. And then there are false words. And there's lots of warnings about that. Those people who speak uh, falsehoods about God, whether knowingly or unknowingly. You know, if we believe in a God who has spoken into his creation through Jesus Christ and who continues to desire to speak meaningfully to his creation, to his creatures, to people. And furthermore, if we believe that followers of Jesus are called to speak on his behalf, there can be few tasks more serious than being clear about what our words about God actually mean and seeking to ensure that they are faithfully given, spoken, and that they're received by people meaningfully intact. That there's a line of communication that is open, that is bringing clarity to what we say about God. Uh, last year, we talked about the, the book of James and uh, several of you, uh, people have mentioned their amusement at the sermon title was called Had Your Weesht, which is something my father used to say to me when I was speaking too much. He'd say, Had Your Weesht, laddie. It means hold your tongue. And the book of James talks a lot about words. And, and he reminds us this uh, in chapter three. He says, we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. I think that describes us. We misspeak all the time. The wonderful truth of the gospel is that there is an abundance of grace for our mistakes and misspoken words. But we have to remember that this grace costs Jesus everything. And therefore, we must take it seriously that we've been given this new environment of confidence and a lack of condemnation in which to grow and to press in and to let Christ transform not only our hearts and our minds, but our speaking. So why is it so challenging? Why is it so difficult to speak clearly about God when it's such obviously an important thing to do? Well, here's the challenge with words, I think. Words in and of themselves, just simply saying a word, is not actually reality. What, what words are is, is a sound that we have attached uh, to something we believe to be true in existence. And we've agreed that that is the term that we will use to describe that aspect of reality. Um, but the, here, the thing is, without regular attention to what it is we're saying in, as we seek to describe what is real, uh, these words can become detached, unhinged from the thing they're meant to be trying to explain and point to, and therefore they can become unhelpful and actually can uh, cause people to be uh, directed away from what it is supposed to be saying. Or else they can become just a language of the in crowd, like we all know what we're talking about, and, and they can actually separate people instead of bringing them back together again. So why does this happen? What are the obstacles of speaking well about God? And in words in general, what happens? Well, first thing is a lot of cultural influences in the way we use words. Uh, and there are subcultural influences. And one of them is the Christian subculture. Uh, if I were to say the following words and phrases to you, would you understand what they mean? For example, popcorn prayer. Do you know what that means? A hedge of protection. Traveling mercies. I'm going to put out a fleece. And the sinner's prayer. Do you know what, the, do, you, do you move in this world of communication? Do you understand what these things mean? Or are you like, what on earth is he talking about? 
You know, uh, when I first came to America, I had a much stronger Scottish accent. It was a... I got so tired of being asked to repeat myself. And so, you know, this is kind of the result now. 21 years later, almost 22 years, I've definitely smoothed things off. In fact, I go back to Scotland and my cousins are like, Grant sounds like a yank. So I'm sort of a person without any kind of accent place that is clear. It's a, kind of a mix now. But when I first came, my accent was much stronger. And I went to a first time in a drive-thru and I happened to be driving. And so I, I gave my order at the window and the woman uh, had no idea what I was saying. So what I did is I reverted to my best American accent. I said something along the lines of, um, hey, I'd like, a, uh, can I please have a burger and some fries and a milkshake? That's the best I can do, right? Something like that. But she understood what I was saying. I changed my accent. And I think that some of us speak with a Christian accent that is so strong and so practiced and so ingrained in us from experience and life that people are not under, able to understand a word that we are saying we got to figure out how to speak and maybe in the accent of, of those around us that we can, it causes us to be the one that will sacrifice our comfort and, and try and do the work of being understood. Christianese it's called. It's called Christianese. You heard that term? And it really is speaking to one another within a bubble that is very difficult to penetrate and get into. And people come into our churches sometimes and they sit there just wondering what it is we're talking about. Um... Second thing is the wider culture. Like words are influenced in all kinds of ways. C.S. Lewis in a book called Studies in Words said, as everyone knows, words constantly take on new meanings. And that really is true. There's an evolution of words. And sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not so helpful. An example being the word awesome is a, com uh, is a common example, I think, in our culture. We, we use the word awesome to des describe all kinds of vastly different situations from, wow, this is awesome pizza, to that hurricane was awesome, and even to God is awesome. In fact, I listened to a guy talk once who was a worship professor, and, and he said that the word awesome should only ever be used in the English language to describe God. There is nothing that is awesome. But we've kind of cheapened it and dumbed it down. So when we use this word, it's like, is it on the same level as pizza? Or is it on the same level of, as the unknowable, everlasting God? You know, love is also a victim of this process, the word love. And we're going to look at that this, this summer, um, that it's become muddy about what is, the, what is love? What reality does that word, should that word attach to in our understanding and our, and our actions? The second thing really is, is cultural, but this, this is a, a fact. All of our speech comes out of our brokenness. You know, we, we, we are part of a race that is, that, that is deeply flawed and all of our words are part of that sphere. So it's no surprise that our words uh, are often untrue or partially true or harmful rather than helpful. Isaiah, uh, when he meets this, has this, vision of God in the temple and he, his first thing he says is woe to me I cried I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the Lord almighty and all of our speech comes from brokenness we are people of unclean lips yet we are being redeemed we're being renewed and that is the journey we can't we speak from places of self-protection and comfort pardon me, or pride, or even shame. Um, and so this call to discipleship and transformation is a call to have our thinking renewed so that our speech can be transformed. 
This is really important. Really, if we're to be a witness to this God, we have to take this seriously. What is at risk here? If we fail to do the work to understand what it is we're saying and communicate well, what is at risk? Well, the first thing is we risk obscuring the truth of God from those who desperately need to hear it. Obscuring or even pushing people away. You know, we read earlier that we're ambassadors. We're speaking on behalf of God. And we're told to be those who share an account of the hope that we have within us. Uh, And often I think our, our inability to do the hard work of understanding what we should say and what we're saying leads to some things like an inability to speak about God with others. We, we don't know what to say or a fear of doing so uh, or too much readiness to just like throw our words in there. Just get it done with. Here's this truth. Now, see you later. Or worse, a misrepresentation of God to others. It causes them to formulate a picture that is not accurate. Secondly, God takes the way we use words extremely seriously. One of the scariest things Jesus said is Matthew 12. I tell you, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. And we know there's grace, but it tells us something about the heart of God that when we misspeak about God or on God's behalf, it is serious. And it is heartbreaking. The third thing, just simply this, is a lack of understanding about about words about God and how to speak them and how to understand them can lead to a very boring Christian life. These are words of hope and power. They illuminate and they sparkle with life. And if we fail to understand them, we will lose this powerful, life-affirming language And at worst, we fail to understand, they will give us a narrowed, life-limiting, joy-stealing, shaming and guilt-inducing experience with God because of the language that we are, are, are living out and according to. So, so what, what, might we, what might we do? This is serious, this is important. What might we, how might we approach the language of faith and how to think about it? Well, I was reading a book just past couple of years. I've Um, found it really helpful and actually was recommended in our foyer um, as one of the books we thought were really interesting to read. And it's called Learning to Speak God from Scratch. It's by Jonathan Merritt. Um, and he actually encounters this problem. He, he had a conversation with someone on a subway in New York not long after he got there and he found himself speaking words to this person and they didn't really understand what he was talking about. And he realized also that he didn't really know what those words really meant either. And it kind of caused him to, to check himself and go like, and it actually led to writing of this book and say like, what do we do when, when our words no longer seem to have the impact or meaning uh, for others or even for ourselves? Well, he suggested three approaches that people typically might do. Well, two that we do and one that we, he thinks we should do. The first is fossilization. He calls it fossilization. It's basically, you just <clears throat> say, well, we're never changing. We're, we're just going to, these are the words, tough. You don't understand it. These are the words. It kind of reminds me of the King James only controversy where people say the King James is the only English language Bible you should ever use. Uh, and I remember there was um, a little booklet someone gave me, which was a glossary of difficult King James words. It says, don't buy a new translation. Just put this in the back of your Bible and you can like, look up what they mean. Uh, but it's this refusal to change 
or, or to invite openness for reflection or dialogue about these things. It, it's very rigid and it's very oppositional. The second thing is substitution. And this is quite popular now too. You say, well, okay, so these words maybe don't contain uh, the meaning that we, we, they once might have done. So let's think of new words. You know, let's not use the word God. Let's think of some other word that maybe speaks better to our culture. And, um, and, and people give a rationale perhaps for doing that. But, but here's the problem. Um, you know, you're going to either dumb down the great words of our faith, but not only that, who gets to choose what words to be used and how more proliferation of new words, it becomes even more confusing uh, to, to a culture that, that we're to be speaking into. Yeah, and it can become quite trendy also. And also, some of this impulse is like we don't want to offend people, so we may actually take the edge off a word to make it more palatable rather than actually seek to understand uh, the, the full roundness of, of the concept and, and share that. So the third thing uh, that Jonathan Merritt suggests is revival. Revival. To reimagine and revisit the words of our faith, just very openly and honestly, expressing our doubts and concerns about them together and actually seeking to understand and reinvest in them uh, ourselves and for our lives and let them speak into our lives and, and publicize these words uh, in light of understanding them with, with all of our hearts and our lives and live according to them. You know, Luke, uh, who wrote one of the Gospels, we did Acts, uh, I guess last year we finished Acts. And uh, this writer, Luke, also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and his very first thing he says there's a lot of bearing on words and, and, and what we should do. He talks about this. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account, okay, a telling, a, a using of words of the things that have been fulfilled among us. This is about Jesus. Handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Those who serve the purposes of sharing this word, this good news about Jesus. And with this in mind, uh, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning... That's that work. Carefully investigate everything from the beginning. Uh, so he's gone around and he's asked those people who are eyewitnesses and he's had this dialogue and reflection. Before many of these doctrines and theologies and words were formed, this hard work was happening by this man, Luke, who apparently was a doctor. He was a man of science of his day and he's doing this hard work to understand. So then he says, so I thoroughly investigated everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an orderly account for you. It's to his friend Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. This is so instructive for us to do this hard work as servants of the word. We cherish and we steward and we reflect carefully upon these words. And interestingly enough, it's the story of uh, Gospel of Luke is not just about stories about Jesus, but also it's about the meaning and the significance of those stories for us. So, so what are we going to do? The next 11 weeks, we're actually going to do this work together. And it's called Words with Friends. We think it's a very uh, wonderful name for this because this is a communal activity we're inviting you to join us for this exploration of some words of the faith. You know, we have some goals for uh, 2021. Uh, and three of these are very well captured by this adventure, this journey into, into the words of our faith. Uh, one of them is to grow. We want to grow spiritually. But we're specifying that this is in the area of being mere Christians. 
mere Christians. And the words that we use for our faith and what we believe that they, they are to mean and how we communicate them is a very big part of what it means to be a Christian who is a mere Christian, who is invested in the essentials of the Christian faith and seeks to have that inform every aspect of our lives. We need to understand our faith if we're to be these kinds of people. The second one is innovate. And innovate is not this uh, previous thing about substitution and always and the novel and the new, it, but it's actually reflecting on our practice, uh, including our words, and evaluating it regularly to see if it is performing uh, what God would have it to perform as we move and live amongst the people whom God has given us to share this with. Uh, so we will. We want to innovate. So it's like uh, we should be honest about the words, and we should be exploring together, examining what it is we believe together, um, and and doing that on a regular basis. And this is what we're going to do this summer. We're going to seek to grow. We're going to seek to innovate and understand. And the, the third thing is communicate. We believe that communication is one of the hardest things to do, but one of the most important things to do, especially when we think of our faith as being all about communication. It is a word from God. Jesus is the word of God. We have the word of God. We share the word of God. In fact, it's interesting, in the early days of Christianity and uh, Judaism also, uh, these people of God were known as the people of the book. The people of the book, such was their, was their connection to a written revelation uh, we want to continue to be people of the book and we want to be able to communicate that well to others. So I'm going to use four words for the next 11 weeks to describe how we're going to do this, which will hopefully give us a sense of the flavor of the next uh, bunch of weeks. Uh, we're going to do this in, in several ways. Biblical is the first one. Ecumenical is the second one. Communal is the third one. And practical is the very important final one. So what do I mean when I say that? Well, biblical, we're going to take seriously what Scripture says. Because sometimes uh, in this whole sense of cultural uh, effect, culturally on uh, what do we believe in our words, we, we've become uh, um, kind of pro prone to have thing, all kinds of things added, you know? I know there's been a couple of times when I've looked at Scripture, uh, again, a passage that I thought I knew and either at someone else's uh, urging or direction or just my own investigation, I've discovered it actually didn't say what I thought it said or it didn't say what people have told me I should believe it says. Um, and it's really, really important for us to do that. So biblically, we're going to try and correct the places where our cultural biases perhaps have led us astray. The second thing is ecumenical. And that word can have a you know, bad connotation sometimes, but uh, I'm talking about the Christian tradition. Um, we recognize that God has had and does have today many children in many cultures and historical eras. And we will seek to hear those voices as the Spirit speaks through them in order that we might be enriched by their lives as they live out the faith and by their perspectives as the way they understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to speak words about God. So ecumenical, we want to understand we are, as we said, we're a non-denominational church. We are not held to one particular doctrinal perspective. Uh, we seek uh, to do this. We want to be in essentials, have unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity or love. And the third one is communal. It's so important. All the words of scripture are written to communities. Uh, they do have application, of course, for individuals, but they find their life best when we do this together. And it takes all of us to do so. So we will reason together. We will 
gather together in hospitable conversations about these important words and matters. And we're always going to do that with the understanding that each of us is limited in our individual understanding and knowledge and experience. And we're richer for the brothers and sisters who we can discuss these things with. So this will be biblical and ecumenical and communal. And finally, practical. Because as James says, you know, you can speak all you want, but if your actions don't align with, with those words, then, then it's going to be a problem. Um, there's an old phrase that says, uh, your actions speak so loud I can't hear a word that you're saying. We've got to bring these things into alignment with one another. What we say we believe and how we understand our faith must find its uh, outflow into our actual lives. And that's where it's going to have the impact. And, you know, we will be... Uh, like letters written to our community by God, letters written on our hearts and our actions and our words and our service. So we, we did a poll in the spirit of this concept of words with friends. We wanted our church, our congregation, our community to decide what words. So we had about 20 or so words from which you could pick five of your top words. And we have the results. And I think it's quite interesting. The Holy Spirit was the number one by far um, and the rest are these, truth, grace, faith, heaven, justice, prayer, hell, love, God, salvation. So what I want you to do this week as we prepare to uh, enter into this time is to take the sheet. You can, we're going to provide a sheet here that you can print it out. And I want you to write down your definition of these words. Just sit, you know, don't look it up in a book. Don't try and discover. Don't do any research. Just from where you sit right then and there. Write down what it is you believe uh, is the significance and the meaning, perhaps the definition of each of these words. Then we're going to see what happens over this next 11 weeks. Like maybe your, your perspective is going to change or maybe it, you'll discover that you know, you, yeah, you're on the right, along, thinking along the right lines. But I think we're all going to be challenged to change in some ways and even perhaps broaden our definition of what these words mean. Uh, so as we begin this journey together, I just want to end with this thought. And I think it's really important. Thinking about people who speak for God, uh, the, the word that comes to mind immediately is the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament. They were, that was their whole identity and life. And we talked about Elijah, if you were listening to one of the messages we did in the, in the All Right Here series. Elijah, um, that was his identity. Jonah, that was meant to be his identity. He lost his identity when he ran from God because his whole purpose in life was to speak for God, uh, words of truth to people. So how did they keep within the boundaries of right speech with God? How did they actually hear from God and, and, and believe that they were speaking well? Because there were false prophets also in those days who were speaking lies uh, about God. And I was reading through Jeremiah, and in chapter 15, there's this beautiful little phrase, which I think is really helpful. And Jeremiah writes this to God. He says, your words were found and I ate them. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart for I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. That's so beautiful. Your words came. He's ingested and is digesting and making part of himself this word and it has become for him a joy and a delight and that's what leads to this ability to speak well for God and to do it consistently. He's, he's, in, he's eating these words he has found them and he eats them. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in Israel's songbook, is a weird and wonderful text. 
And it's all about words. It's all about words. And it's actually, interestingly enough, it, uh, each part begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So even just the whole alphabet by which the Hebrew people would understand their words, their language, is built into the fabric of this psalm. And every single line, go look it up, it's amazing. Every single line in the entirety of Psalm 119 contains a term that describes God's word. Law, statutes, ways, precepts, decrees, commands, word, word of truth, ancient laws. Uh, and I, the, right close to the beginning, uh, the psalmist writes this. I'm single-minded in pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs you've posted. I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart so I won't sin myself bankrupt. Be blessed, God. Train me in your ways of wise living. I'll transfer to my lips all the counsel that comes from your mouth. I delight far more in what you tell me about living than in gathering a pile of riches. I ponder every morsel of wisdom from you. I attentively watch how you've done it. I relish everything you've told me of life. I won't forget a word of it. Here's the point. In order for the good word to come out of us, we need to get the good word into us. In order for the good word to come out of us, we need to get the good word into us. And this is a, this is a spiritual process by which we, uh, we feed on the word of God and it becomes part of us and it, it changes our tongue. It changes our words Paul wrote to the first uh, the Corinthians, he said, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And that is what we need to do in these coming weeks. We need to pray uh, that God would so be born in us and that we would actually engage with, his, with the Scriptures, with His Word and with Him in ways that we find ourselves even perhaps to our surprise, speaking different words from different hearts and different minds. You know, let's join together for the next 11 weeks. Let's let the Holy Spirit transform our minds and hearts and our speaking and our living for God's glory and for the benefit of our neighbors whom he loves so dearly that he sent his son, the word of God and the son sent the spirit into the church that we would testify clearly and regularly um, to his goodness and to his presence and to the hope that we can find in him alone. Let's pray as we, as we close up and we, we ponder these things as we go into our lives uh, thinking about the words that we use to be attentive to them and, and to join together in these coming weeks to seek to understand and from the understanding to speak well about this God uh, who has revealed himself to us in Christ. Father God, you are the one who spoke first and you will have the last word. In your presence, all of our words to describe you or explain you seem insufficient. You are the one who continues to speak to all who will listen through the beauty of creation and in the pages of the scriptures. And we thank you for the gift of language, God, and the ability to think and to communicate and to learn and to grow and to engage in this process with other people together, discovering who you are and how we might live in peace with you and with one another. Jesus, word of God, 
Thank you for making God known to us by stepping into our story and living in full accordance with the will of the Father. Your words convict and comfort us and bring us life. From the cross, you cried out with words of pain and anguish, but you conquered death and you silenced the grave. You experienced the judging words of God so that we would not. You set us free from words of condemnation and released to us the resounding proclamation of the good news that we are yours forever. Holy Spirit, you give us new life every day and you inspire us to tell others about the grace that we have discovered in Christ. Give us good words to speak, words of hope, words of truth, words of joy and words of love. Teach us wisdom in all of our speaking. Help us to consider what words we send out into the world and forgive us for the ways in which we have confused or harmed other people with our words. Teach us who you are and energize us to live each day according to your word.